Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Bruce. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. Rick, we've got a wonderful topic for you today, and the show today is not just going to make you feel warm and tropical because of where we're talking about, but it'll even make you feel good inside because we're actually talking about people who are trying to do the right thing for nature, and I know that's a huge topic for you. Yeah, this is actually one of my, I'd I'd say this is single-handedly one of the most important shows we've ever done. And I think it's important because it drives home a very important message that helps us understand how, if there's going to be, what is it, 7 billion people now on our planet, and we are going to still want to preserve our natural resources, we have to think pragmatically at times. We have to think uh, certainly with a sense of aspiration to save these these important parts of our planet. And this is kind of a, a counterintuitive uh, message that uh, I hope that people will listen to because I think our future and our rainforest future depends on it. Well, it's funny because one of the shows that we've done over the years dealing with the uh, repropagating of coral off the coast of Florida, that was an example of where once a problem was discovered, they actually went and tried to figure out a way to fix it. But what's happening in this case is before the problem has even happened, they're trying to figure out a way to fix it. And bottom line is make it okay for everybody. And the fact that we've got companies spending a lot of money in order to do right by nature is just, as you say, counterintuitive. Well, the thing I don't want to hold back on anymore is listen to it this way. Sometimes taking things from the wild in the case of tropical fish out of the Amazon River is the very single way that you can actually help save the rainforest. These individuals that live in the rainforest, they have a job, and anybody that lives wants to support their family. And by allowing them to support their family by removing sustainable fish from the ecosystem and allowing us to enjoy them in our aquariums uh, can actually make the Amazon River it, it not the river itself, but the whole forest and ecosystem, it gives promise because those who really think it's important can protect it. Well, and that's an example, again, where we can't take for granted that there's always a Burger King that's hiring in every neighborhood because down in the Amazon on the river, there just isn't. And these people need to make a living. And uh, the good news is our guests today are two of the biggest people in the game when it comes to fixing everything on Project Piaba. Uh, Our first guest that we've got is Scott Dowd. And and he's with the New England Aquarium and is a very smart guy with regard to the topic. And we also have coming on the show Sandy Moore, uh, who is the president of Seagrist Farms. And again, they've made big investments into this whole uh, arena of Project Piaba. Yeah, I know Sandy Moore. And when I go to a trade show, 
the president of one of the largest companies here in our industry is there talking about what does it take to save our industry, not just promoting who Seagrass Farms and what they're all about. And I'm really interested in hearing what she has to say. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. And again, I'll encourage all of you, before we get started with this week's show, go into your browser and plug in Project Piaba, P-I-A-B-A, and learn about an amazing way that people are trying to just create a living and keep the world in the condition in which we found it. So that's going to be the topic we're going to talk about this week on the Mid-Michigan Pet expert talk show on 1320 WILS and 1320 WILS.com. Once again, the pet experts who ironically both have nine lives. You're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show with Rick Cruz and Lee Cohen on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we have with us as a first-time guest on the line, we have Scott Dowd, who is a conservation biologist with the New England Aquarium, but for the purposes of today's interview, he's also the executive director of Project Piaba. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, it's our pleasure to have you. Scott, for our listeners who are not aware, can you explain exactly what is Project Piaba and kind of what's the background on it? Uh, Project Piaba is a conservation initiative, and it came out of an observation we made in the early 90s while spending time in the Brazilian Amazon on the Rio Negro, focused in the little town of Barcelos, where we saw a very high volume of live fish being exported for the global aquarium trade. And I have to be honest, at first, we saw this as red flags, seeing so many, so many live fish going out, we worried about the, the environment's capacity to sustain this. To make a long story short, indeed, yes, because of the natural cycles there, the life history of the Cardinal Tetra, the, the floods and, and droughts in the Amazon, this species is very dynamic, and its populations are very uh, highly energized to, to handle any pressure from the fishery. What we also noticed is this is the basis of the economy for this particular region. It provides the basis for livelihoods for many, many rural people and, and communities, and because of the, the residents connection to the environment via aquarium fish and the importance that has to their household, they are very effective protectors of the environment. So that first impression we had that, oh, maybe this fishery is putting too much stress on the environment, it was completely wrong. Um, not only is it sustainable, but it's, the, it's clearly the driver of protection for not only the aquarium fish that are being harvested, but to the entire ecosystem. And this means the macaws, the monkeys, the, the river dolphins, uh, all the carbon that's, that's tied up in that tropical forest and all the atmospheric gases that that forest uh, continues to sequester. So our humble little aquarium hobby in this situation is providing poverty alleviation for rural people, protection for regions of biological importance that are global, globally important, and also a, a, a mitigator for, for, for climate change and, and stabilizing the atmosphere. So uh, it's, it's of huge importance. I, I guess the first thing I'd want to get into is more on an um, intimate level. Explain how the residents of this area 
actually protect their environment, maybe even differently than somebody that's not connected with the collection of these tropical fish? Well, we we see a lot of environmental uh, tragedy going on in regions. We look we look at Indonesia and the rate of deforestation, and I think the basis of a lot of that is poverty and just hunger of people that live there. And if you're poor, and if you have no hope, and if your family is hungry, you would do anything. You would really um, do anything to feed your kids and feed your family. But this aquarium trade in the Amazon has been going on since the 1950s. And it really appears to, to have you know potential to continuously sort of supply that, that basis of livelihoods. So that gives a much different perspective. It gives hope, and it gives a long-term perspective. It, it doesn't generate, I'm going to get mine before somebody else gets mine and take it, and I don't care what happens. The people that live in this region have a long-term view of what, not just the fish, but the whole tropical forest and the flood plain mean directly to them, to their family, to their children. So, um, it's 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 not unique. It was one of the first places where we discovered this model, um, but it's a it's an environmental uh, benefit um, uh, for sure. Well, it's it's funny, Scott, because from the sound of what you describe, it makes me wonder if the government is not supportive of this kind of a program. So I guess I'll ask you, who are the supporters of uh, Project Piava? Is it coming through governments? Is it coming through charitable organizations? Is it coming through volunteers? I'll tell you, the biggest supporters, the most important supporters, are the people that are listening to this radio show right now. They're the fish hobbyists. This is dependent on revenue. There's, there's a small amount of biological material going out. The net sort of mass of, of biological material represented by the aquarium fish is minimal. But uh, aquarium fish have a high um, cash value, so it's our hobbyists that love fish, love the environment, that are buying these fish, and that money goes back to the residents. Now, we do have a good relationship um, with, the, with the Brazilian government and the regulators. There are things that can be done to really uh, to increase um, the, the, the benefits of the fishery to the people in the environment, and we're working on those. Um, so I think that the, the outlook looks good. And uh, I'm very happy now, even though we've been doing this project since about 1991, a big game changer was when Seagrass Farms partnered with us, and they recognized the importance of the aquarium fish industry to to this region. They also recognized their role in this as one of the biggest producers and distributors of fish in the world. For them to step in and just solidify the... um, the stream of fish coming out and to use their distribution network, um, it's, it's one of those essential things. And for me as a conservation biologist, you know, historically conservationists are wanting to set up protected areas, you know, traditional protected areas that doesn't necessarily involve the residents. In fact, some you know, parks are, there are nobody living, but this is a little bit different where it directly involves the people that live there and again, it involves the fish keepers here in America, the hobbyists that are you know, overwhelmingly uh, concerned about the environment. And what we're doing now is we're really clarifying that hobbyists have the opportunity 
to both even further enjoy the hobby to, and, and get access to fish that they can buy, and that purchase um, uh, decision results in benefit to people in the environment in the Amazon. I think we should segue a little bit. Uh, I'm just, you know, for for all of my life, I've been associated with this particular trade and the idea of having tropical fish in your living room. And certainly the Cardinal Tetra or the Neon Tetra has been synonymous with the trade. Uh, there's certainly other fish that probably are synonymous as well. But we'll just use this particular fish because it seems to be the poster child for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. What what about uh, what I've seen over the years, and actually, just for good health, I actually support the idea of wild cots, that and I just have a much better success rate. But I don't know that that's where the market has been, and I would imagine there's been some negative consequences associated with the breeding of these fish outside of the basin and not really having that economic reward going back to the people of the village. Can you comment a little bit about that? Sure. Well, you know, it is counterintuitive, and uh, I myself went through that cycle in the early 90s where I became the proponent of, of wild capture uh, as, a, as a mechanism to result in these, in these net benefits. And what you're touching on in terms of producing fish um, in countries where they don't uh, naturally originate, that's a complex issue. It, it is complicated. The Cardinal Tetra has such a resilient natural history. Not all fish, not all species can recover as quickly as, um, as cardinal tetras. Um, there have been some initiatives to domesticate and produce the cardinal tetra in, in very high volumes outside of Brazil. And to be honest with you, when I saw some of that, I became concerned. If the Brazilians who have been protecting the environment because it was a means to provide for their families, if they suddenly lose their market because Asia, Southeast Asia, is producing cardinal tetras and marketing them for cheaper, that gave me concerns. And again, I come back to Seagrass Farms as seeing what this means in the big picture. Seagrass Farms, they certainly have the capacity to, to produce cardinal tetras. And I'm just thrilled that they've partnered with me as a, as a conservation biologist to embrace doing whatever they could to help promote the wild fishery, because we can give them the scientific backing, the assurance that this is sustainable, and they can market these fish uh, you know, as such. Um, but we want to keep the hobby exciting. We want to keep young hobbyists entering the hobby, and we think this is a facet that, that will get young people interested in, in getting involved and, and staying. We're, we're dabbling with techniques to connect the hobbyist with the fisher in the region from where their fish came from, usually using social media. We don't have this up and running yet, but we're fooling around with it where, where you'll be able to trace your fish back to the, to, to the fishing community and, and have a realization of what benefits uh, you've had. Let me, I'll give you one other example. There's a producer in the Czech Republic called Alex Tropicals, and it's really difficult for, for him to bring in fish all the way from Manaus, Brazil, to the Czech Republic. And he has been distributing captive bred cardinal tetras. This guy came with us on a trip, and he saw Barcelo, saw the fishing grounds, and realized how important it was. And in the end, what he's done is he, he quantifies how many cardinals he sells in Europe. And he donates, for Project Piaba to administer, he donates the equivalent of cash as if those fishermen had caught every one of those fish um, themselves. So this is a way that he's he's commercially benefiting 
from the from the resource, but he's having the benefits from that trade go back to the fishing communities. So there's more than one way to do it. And uh, but it's just this growing ethic we're seeing in the hobby of wanting to use our hobby, use our trade to protect the environment. Well, we're talking this morning with Scott Dowd, who is the executive director of Project Piaba. Scott, if you had to look at the uh, impact thus far of Project Piaba, is that pretty much where you're seeing it as more attitudinally, or are you actually beginning to see more of a scientific look or even an ethical look at uh, just how the environment is protected? Well, our project is very, very broad-based, and we're working with, from the collectors, and then all the trade intermediaries, the exporters, the importers, the wholesalers, the the distributors, the retailers, and the hobbyists. So we're working on many fronts. Um, Then the the industry has gone through some bumps. One of the biggest exporters, or the biggest exporter in South America, closed several years ago, and that could have resulted in the collapse of the entire fishery. But we're, we're, we're helping to navigate through that challenge and, and other ones as well. And what about uh, making inroads on, I guess, transportational hazards? Um, is, is there an issue with how they're handled or, um, or, they're, if, or on a more positive basis? Is there things we can be doing to increase the overall comfort level of these fish as they, they go mm-hmm. from... Parts way That's back in the topic. jungle, um, you know, way back in the jungle to in our fish tanks. There's a whole lot of paths going through there. What, what, what's done in that respect? Well, um, I'll tell you, there are some issues to be addressed. And uh, I'll give you one little example. Right at the point of capture, some fishers, when they, when they catch uh, a small school of cardinal tetras, they lift their net from the water. The fish flop around on the net. Uh, and the collectors uh, kind of scoop them with a gourd and put them in a, in, a, in a plastic bag. And that doesn't kill the fish, but it, it traumatizes the fish. It damages their mucus uh, coating and their, their epithelium. Um, and so we have scheduled in June, we're going to have a program down in Manaus, and it's called Train the Trainers. Uh, Dr. Tim, Tim Miller Morgan, a specialist in, uh, he's a veterinarian, a professor at uh, Oregon State. Um, and uh, he has developed a curriculum that we're going to be working with our Brazil team to develop and implement best handling practices. And the, the team that we put through this week-long workshop is going to be given this information on a very technical level. The thing is, these are all Brazilian folks. They live in the state of Amazonas, and they know how to effectively communicate with the fishing community. I speak Portuguese, but I'm a, I'm a gringo, and if you add that into it, it's just going to distract the whole situation. So our Brazilian specialists are then going to adapt that technical information and hold some workshops to certify each of the fishers to be trained in best handling practices. And that's going to dramatically improve the way the fish are handled. We're also working with fish exporters. The Rio Negro is very acidic. The fish need to be acclimated to more to pHs closer to neutral. Uh, the nutrition needs to be addressed. It's very difficult to get quality feeds into Brazil, and we're, we're, we have some, some progress on that as well, as getting better nutrition. But Seagrass Farms, if you go to their website, I think you can still find pictures of uh, they've built a whole new facility 
specially built for receiving Rio Negro fishes and meeting them, giving them their needs, but then acclimating them for what their retail customers and what the, the hobbyists will will need. So that facility right there is, again, another game changer in where they're conditioning and stabilizing the fish. So uh, they you can see a, you can find a store locator on their website and any of those retailers you can go to them and ask for project if you have a fish, and you'll receive uh, very high-quality conditioned fish. Fantastic. Uh, Scott Dowd, we need to take a quick break, but we'd like to bring you back after the break and talk with you a little bit more about some of the future objectives of Project Piaba. We're speaking with Scott Dowd, who is the executive director, and we'll continue right after the break on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Hey, got some ideas for a show? Questions? Maybe suggestions? Just email us, mmpets at 1320wils.com or message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash mmpets. You're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show with Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen on 1320 WILS. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. We've been talking this morning with Scott Dowd, who is a conservation biologist with the New England Aquarium. And in addition to that, he serves as the executive director of Project Piaba. And before the break, Scott, we were talking a little bit about Project Piaba. And I guess I would ask you, can you explain for our listeners, if if you had to state specific uh, mission and objectives, what are they for the project itself? Well, we're looking to um, maintain um, or maximize the economic benefits to the fishing grounds where the fish, where the aquarium fish come from. Uh, in this case, we're focusing on the Rio Negro. So the reason we want to maximize the economic benefits is the more money that goes in, the more it benefits the residents, the more they're going to care about the environment. So we have multiple goals. You know, um, we're quite content that the, card- the cardinal tetra and the other fishes being captured that their populations are not threatened, but the more we can maximize this connectivity between um, the residents and the environment, the more they're going to protect the environment. And, uh, and as I said earlier, all the critically endangered species that live there in the forest ecology itself. So that's our goal in the Rio Negro. Um, and this has been a very counterintuitive thing, but we've introduced this model to the scientific community, to the mainstream conservation community, where in the not-too-distant past, um, some of these groups may not have had the, the, a positive perspective of the wildlife trade. But it was only you know, through this model that we, we, we had this understanding of how people can live in areas like this, in a way that, that benefits them and the environment. So we're, we're looking to, up, to, to, to build up and expand. Uh, so, uh, what, yep. what, one thing I was thinking about when you brought that up, and I don't mean to interrupt, but uh-huh. this, this flavor, this energy that you're talking about, when we've um, had different encounters around island uh, villages throughout the world, the idea of individuals no longer collecting, for instance, reef fish, throughout, let's say, the Philippines or the Indonesian area, uh, we were at least anecdotally 
receiving the same kind of cause and effect. When they stop doing this, bad things happen. They don't really have you know, McDonald's to work at when, when, uh-huh. the, when, when the collection stopped. Can this concept, this model, be amplified in some way or another to kind of both provide uh, balance and understanding and opportunities for those individuals that are living in, let's say, island nations? Absolutely. We're looking to capture the essence of this, which is connecting the people to the environment in a, in a beneficial way. And so we're now looking globally throughout the tropics for other regions where this model already exists, where people are sustainably collecting uh, aquarium fish and benefiting and protecting the environment from that. We're also looking at regions where it doesn't exist yet, but it could, because we really need as many tools and instruments as we can to protect the environment, and this, this aquarium fish model is so exciting. Um, for coral reefs, there are new techniques being developed where fish can be captured at very early life stages, um, where most of them are not going to successfully make it into the, the mature breeding population. So early life stage capture and handling of fish is a very exciting opportunity that can be applied to coral reef fisheries. And again, it's to give this sense of ownership, like the people that live in communities abutting the coral reefs are going to are going to look at the reef as being something tremendously valuable and important for them, and they may in the future look at the schools of of adult fish, and want them to have the healthiest possible environment. So they'll produce many large eggs and have large larvae and 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 post larval fish that they can sustainably harvest and um and and have that as a basis of livelihoods. So we're looking at at all areas possible and not even necessarily starting at looking directly at at the fish. One example I like to offer people is orangutans. And you wouldn't really consider connecting aquarium fish and orangutans. But the loss of habitat in in Indonesia, Borneo, Sumatra, where orangutans occur is just just horrible. And so there are beautiful fish that, that live in these areas near orangs, and if we can connect those residents with the environment in a way that they're going to protect protect the forest, then that benefits um, orangutans. So, so I got a question. Uh, how there's you're talking on the supply side most of this conversation and getting villages that uh, and individuals out in countryside involved. I see just as much need to talk about how do how does somebody go to a store like myself and know they're buying any kind of effort that's going to help the process along well we're we're starting with that we're starting slowly and the part of the reason why we're starting slowly is we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves um there was an initiative you probably remember the marine aquarium council yes and i, 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 there I was do well so much exciting information and the hobbyists were thrilled about it and everybody in the industry was thrilled about it and there were regular articles in the popular literature and everybody was thrilled and it was an unexpected backlash is when hobbyists started going to pet shops and saying give me these max certified fish and it's a complicated thing and the fish weren't available yet at the retail level and when a hobbyist read a, a magazine article and they, they wanted to be ethical and, and, you know, environmentally aware and seek these fish out. And when they weren't available, that left sort of a bad, a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. 
So we're trying to be very sober about this, keep our feet on the ground and not get ahead of ourselves. And we want to make sure that we have every T crossed, every I dotted before we start putting this information out to the to the, the broad hobbyist community. We're there in some senses with the Rio Negro. Uh, and it's it's starting up. And again, if you go to Seagrass Farm Store Locator, where they're the principal conduit now for, for these fish coming out of Brazil and then being distributed to their huge network, I think that everybody that wants some of these fish can get them. If you go to one of their retail outlets and ask for the fish, I don't, it might be their next order cycle before they come in, but um, they they can be available. But in, And there will be, ideally, other regions coming on. If we get uh, Indonesia secured, if we have the trade, ch- trade chain of sustainably harvested, uh, well-handled fish, then obviously, like the Rio Negro model, we'll be able to start up another biotope aquarium and... Um, and realize the help in orangutans. So um, it's going to be, I think, probably the rest of my lifetime of, 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 of continuing to develop all this. I, I want to at least do a quick comment, and you may not know this, Scott, but our store, uh, Proust Pets, was the first MAC certified retailer in the United States and actually in the world, and it was an attempt to do to accomplish the very things, the very energy that you're talking about. And it was very unfortunate that you know, we went through an endless amount of efforts to make sure that we were MAC certified in that situation, including setting up an accounting system for all our fish. And, you know, once done, that was the biggest problem is there was no available fish resources for a long, long, long time. And by the time it was, it was almost collapsed as far as the energy associated with it. So I really, really like the fact that you're taking the the slow to marketplace, the thorough approach, and actually learning from the MAC certified program, all the lessons that could be learned. Yeah, I'm so appreciative of the commitment you made, and I'm really saddened that, um, you know, structurally it, it, it didn't take. But let me tell you, we learned lessons. We watched that closely, and we're not going to do it again. So I think that you deserve some of the credit for the strategy that we're taking now, because we, we observe the whole cycle, and and we're not going to squander that experience. We're going to build on it, and we're going to get it right. Well, we got to get this message out there for sure. I think you're doing great, awesome work, and uh, it's kind of like a, a beam of light just shining through an otherwise you know kind of dark forest, because... We've heard a lot of negativity associated with the trade and, you know, mm-hmm. the idea that, uh, you know, putting fish in boxes is an issue. And I think that you're bringing great per- purpose and promise to the idea that people can really experience a fun-loving aquarium in their living room without any real negativity. It means so much to me to hear you say that. I mean, I'm not only a traditionally trained conservation biologist, but uh, the reason I'm in this is because I had aquariums when I was a kid, and I would look at them, and I would daydream. I'd look at my sword tails, daydream about Mexico, look at my other fish, and daydream about the Amazon. And it was quite compelling for me, and it laid out the direction of my life. So I'm, I'm both a hobbyist and, and a scientist, and I can't tell you how fortunate I feel to have uh, a, a career that's been able to, to, to marry those two in a way that's going to result in, um, in such great benefits. And um, I very much appreciate your, your commitment to this as well. Scott, we are just about out of time. If any of our listeners are interested in information on Project Piaba or of how to get involved, where would you send them to? 
www.projectdiava.org. And if you're super interested, come on down with us. Come down to the Amazon. We run trips every year where we want to bring hobbyists and folks in the trade and show them firsthand. And uh, under uh, what we do on our website, you can find information about about um, about our trips to the field. So come to, come down and see the fishing ground. Fantastic. We've been speaking this morning with Scott Dowd, who is a conservation biologist with the New England Aquarium and executive director of Project Piaba. Thank you so much for what you do. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll take care. You as well. And Rick, we're going to continue after the break right here on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. See you later, Radicator. Well, I saw my baby walking with another man today. Well, I saw my baby walking with another man today. When I asked her what's the matter. The pet experts are in. This is the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio. 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And, Rick, we have with us as a first-time guest on the line, Sandy Moore, who happens to be the president of Seagrist Farms in Florida. And Seagrist Farms is the largest in the category when it comes to selling tropical fish anywhere in the world. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Sandy, the reason we wanted to have you is today we've been talking about Project Piaba, and that's a program that you have gotten very involved with. Can you explain what it is about the program that interested you and what it is that Seagrass Farms has done in order to participate and cooperate in the program? I'd love to. Sure. So um, three years ago, I went on the Project Piaba expedition. I flew down to Manaus, Brazil. Um, I was invited by Scott Dowd from New England Aquarium, of course, and, and Gary Jones from Aquarium Pharmaceuticals. Um, flew down and spent two weeks completely unplugged. I had no phone, no internet, no email. That was a little stressful because I'm normally normally very plugged in, um, but really got in tune with with the fishery, with the people of the fishery. Understood the impact of of the industry change from when we were when Obama, the local or the the government regulatory authority, when they made the change of of only allowing the, the piaveros, the fishermen, to collect fish for six months out of the year, the cardinal cetera specifically. When they made that change, industry had to turn to an alternative source for cardinal cetera. And so we went to tank raised cardinal cetera. And even my company raises cardinal cetera. When we did that, we have almost shut down a proven sustainable fishery. So I came back from that um, kind of deflated, not realizing the impact of our actions. Um, so we invested a, a really significant amount of, of money in, um, in an acclimation procedure and, and systems that would acclimate these fish 
so they would survive the entire supply chain in the United States. It's a it's a really big change for these fish to come from water that can the pH can be as low as 3.5, and 85% of of the U.S. has pH in excess of 7.5. So we're acclimating these fish up to 7.2, 7.3, treating for internal and external parasites and bacteria, and fattening the fish up and getting them ready to go to their forever home. And when you say uh, a little, well, a bit of money was spent, you literally built a new building and a new facility in order to accomplish that. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we spent um, well into six figures um, to to do that, to to do it right. Um, We have two systems that are dedicated to to Project Piaba. Um, We do... In Florida, we have really extremely hard water. Yes, you do. It's like liquid rock. (laughs) Um, So we have to, even though we soften it twice, we can't soften it down to where the fish from the Rio Negro can tolerate it. So what we do is an RO blend. We do half RO water and then half twice softened water to get that alkalinity down to about 120. So my question is how... Are they doing down in South America as far as prepping up for this? I mean, you're being one of the largest uh, incoming importers in the United States and possibly around the world. Has Have things started to change down there as far as prepping up and kind of retooling and, and, and getting ready and prepared for this? Things are changing. It's It's a very long supply chain because the Amazon really is the road, the highway, in Brazil through the rainforest. Uh, it can take up to 30 days from the point of collection to the point of to the point of where we receive the fish. So we're working with the uh, consolidation area, Barcelos, which is, that's where the Piaveros bring the fish and they're combined into, into one mass shipment to bring up to the exporters in Manaus. We're working with them on uh, proper nutrition and also pathogen treatments because it's much more effective to to have the fish fed well and and treated for pathogens at the at the point of origin than it is to have them go through this entire you know a thirty day supply chain without without any treatment or or proper diet. So you would say that at least from the supply chain, there seems to be an embrace of the idea of not only, uh, I guess, moving more fish, but also having a healthier specimen that ends up in swimming in our fish tanks. Yes, yes, I agree completely. Now, was... And working with our colleagues around the world, I know um, that uh, aquarium aquarium glosser in in Germany is also um, interested in in joining the project and. They move also a considerable amount of fish, and I'm, I'm very welcome to welcome, very happy to welcome them to the project. Now, Sandy, one of the things that's interesting in your trade is you have to balance the economics of being in business with what I would imagine is a tremendous focus on doing the right thing environmentally. How do you see this project improving things going forward in the way of being able to do both? 
That's an interesting question. We, um, I, I struggle with, with, with this myself as a businesswoman because we're raising um, several hundred thousand cardinals a year to go to trade. So how do you, how do you compete with yourself? In, in supporting a project like this. And it, as it turns out, happily, if you promote one, you sell more of both. Okay. All right. And tell me a little bit, that's the specifically poster child, the Cardinal Tetra. Are there yeah. other fish that are involved in this whole process? And will it be uh, opening up sources uh, that uh, or types of fish that we may not have seen before? Or how, how, yes, how does this, uh, how does this uh, whole thing work? Definitely. So beyond cardinal tetras, we bring in uh, lummy nose, red tail hemiotis, bleeding hearts, otocinclus, uh, 800, 800 different species from the Rio Negro. What the fishermen don't know is sometimes they don't know that there's a market for a fish. And so our people are working with the, the uh, consolidation area of Barcelos and telling them the other fish that are available from this area, whether or not they're marketable. And really growing a market there. Sandy, we've only got about a minute left. If people are interested in supporting Project Piaba or supporting the rainforest, how can they go about participating or being a part of this? If they would look up on our website, um, seagrishforums.com, we have a pet store locator. They can put in their zip code, and it'll show the uh, pet stores within their area that buy from us. Um, we have a list on our website that are that are fish that are specific to the project. That if the purchases of those fish um, directly benefit the fishery of the Rio Negro. Uh, what I what I haven't mentioned that I should have mentioned is we have a self-imposed fee per box that goes directly back to the fishermen, to the fishermen's uh, villages that help support their their education. Okay, and that website is, you said, Seagrass Farms? Uh, yes, S-E-G-R-E-S-T farms.com. Okay, great. We've been speaking this morning with Sandy Moore, who is the president of Seagrass Farms. And Sandy, we'd like to have you back on the show to talk about some of the other projects that you're involved with, but we appreciate your coming on this morning. Thank you very much, Lee. Oh, it was our pleasure. And, Rick, I'm afraid to say that we are just out of time. As much fun as we've had playing around on the Amazon, but it's time to go back to work. So on behalf of our producer, Andy Warnock, our co-host in the studio, Rick Proust, this is Lee Cohen, wishing all of you a great weekend and a great week ahead. We'll talk again next weekend on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And in the meantime, will you all please, please, Take good care of your pets. Have a great weekend.